0: Entertainment.
1: The Journey to the Draft is driven by AAA. AAA, roadside is their strong side. Make AAA a part of your game day today. AAA, go ahead.
2: With the 21st pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select...
3: You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast.
1: Welcome to the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and we had a crazy weekend of college football. Some crazy upsets, some great games to break down. Excited to jump into it with Saturday scouting. Myself, Ben Fennel, Dane Brugler. We're gonna get all of their reactions from this weekend's action, how it matters for the NFL draft. We got some some NFL draft news with underclassmen as well that we will all talk about right at the top in Saturday scouting. After that, we're gonna get to on the clock where Chris McPherson is gonna jump back onto the show, and again, he's gonna serve as our judge and jury for a nice debate between Ben, Dane, and I. The topic this week, who is the toughest skill player in the draft? So quarterback, running back, wide receiver, who is the toughest of that group? I'll explain why I came to this discussion uh, when we get to that segment. But that was, that's a really fun discussion. I hope you guys enjoy. And then after that, we will wrap it up. Uh, we've got our, uh, our scout story segment, which we debuted last week. A lot of fun. It's going to be awesome just to catch up with an NFL scout each and every week here on the show. And I caught up with Eagles assistant director of player personnel, Ian Cunningham, to talk about Eagles running back, Miles Sanders. So we'll do that in our scout story segment at the end of the show. And we'll wrap it up with draft mailbag. So Again, quick reminder before we get things started, best way to throw us your support. If you've got a question, if you've got a mock draft, if you've got a player you want us to talk about, go on to Apple Podcasts, go on Stitcher, leave us a rating, leave us a comment, put in the comment what you want talked about here on the show, and we will get you knocked out. We will get you taken care of. A couple of people have done that over the last couple of days, so we've got some questions here that we are going to respond to. That is the best way to throw us your support. We're already, I don't know, what are we, week five, week six into the college football season. It's crazy to think that, but uh, and things are just going to pick up as the Big Ten uh, and Pac-12 continue to return to action. All right, that being said, let's jump into it now. It's time now for some Saturday Scouting. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, guys, lots to get into here for Saturday scouting. We're going to start at the top with draft buzz, plenty of newsworthy items to kind of come out of the weekend with. But before we get into that, uh, a couple of upsets I said at the top of the show, I, I'm interested to kind of get your guys' thoughts on the most surprising outcome uh, from this weekend. Ben, we'll kind of start with you. Was there a, 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 a win that kind of really kind of caught your eye uh, this weekend in college football?
4: Yeah, absolutely. And it wasn't down in the SEC. That's for sure. It was our (laughs) ACC battle with Boston College and Pitt. Did you guys see how that game ended? Pitt kicker blasts a 58 yarder, sends the game to overtime and then misses the extra point. To, you know, to, to tie the game. It was just a brutal ending. Great battle with Kenny Pickett and Phil Yurkovic at uh, Boston College. Two NFL-type prospects at the quarterback position. Really fun game. Really competitive game. A lot of studs on both sides of the ball. But the kicker blasts one from 58. I'm telling you, this thing was good from 70. Hmm. And then missed the chip shot. It was just a kind of a fun back and forth. Really fun game to watch.
1: I mean, the the ending to the Arkansas Auburn game was. I per, first personally, it was heartbreaking for me mm-hmm. because I picked Arkansas as my upset special this uh, this past week with Ross Tucker here on the show. But uh, the Florida game with Texas A and M, and I'm going to talk about it a little bit later. Because uh, I could have given my game ball in this one, um, but. Texas A&M, I mean, that's a signature win for Jimbo Fisher. You get a the, the, the top-five team coming into your house. Uh, the Texas A&M has always kind of come into the season with Jimbo as having, like, uh, high expectations. They haven't quite been able to follow through. Uh, this was a, a big win for that team, especially after that tough loss to Alabama where they weren't really competitive throughout the course of the game. I thought this was a big one for Jimbo Fisher, Dane.
3: Yeah, what did you think of K- uh, Kellen Mond in that game? You know, I thought it was
1: probably one of the more impressive games I've seen from him. I still think that he's got a lot of room that he's going to have to, you know, where he's going to have to grow. And I did think the run game uh, really kind of carried them in this one. But he made some tough throws in this one for sure.
4: They were 12 of 15 on third down. He finally took no sacks. Didn't turn the ball over. They have two senior tackles, stud uh, left guard or right guard Kenyon Green as well. That's a really interesting offense. A lot of weapons. Mong's a tough one to figure out as far
3: as uh, projecting yeah. to the NFL. Yep, I agree. Uh, for me, the biggest upset, or maybe the most surprising upset, Missouri, beating LSU. And, you know, with a, a first-year head coach, uh, this is kind of viewed as a rebuilding year for Missouri. And you throw in all the COVID stuff they've had uh, on Saturday. They didn't have their best players at receiver, their best players in the defensive line. Uh, a redshirt freshman quarterback was making his first start. So a win over LSU kind of seemed like a long shot. But uh, here's the thing, LSU's defense Kind of terrible. Uh, about as uh, strong and tough as wet paper. So uh, even their best player, Stingley, uh, he had a rough game. So all credit to Missouri having the game plan, the aggressive mindset to get it done. Larry Roundtree was terrific. He had a hundred yard rushing game. Uh, four different receivers had touchdown catches. And did you see uh, Missouri? Uh, I give him credit for the troll job afterwards. Did you see their uh, their tweet. I did. Uh, that it was great. Uh, for those that didn't see it, they post they posted a picture of. Uh, it was a, an, ex, an extinguished cigar uh, along with uh, the Go Tigers, except the, the G-E-A-U-X was crossed out uh, for G-O. Uh, so I, I give him credit for not only showing up strong uh, during the game, but then afterwards. You know, Missouri,
4: Mississippi State, they're not good teams. Is LSU bad?
3: They've had, I mean, you said
1: Ben, you said it to me before the season started. We were going through, and I think it was like I think I had like up like a Missouri LSU depth chart. And you were like looking at the depth chart, and you were like, I don't know a lot of the names at the top of this depth chart for LSU. They've had some serious turnover, turnover,
4: which is you know that happens with success. You lose coaches, you lose stars, young guys get pushed up and out the building. Just happens, you have that turnover. That's what's so impressive for teams like Alabama and Clemson is keep re racking and reloading every year, year in and year out. This is the first taste of success for LSU in a while, and they're realizing some of the trouble that comes with success.
1: You sound like uh, Owen Wilson at the beginning of Wedding Crashers, like, you know, trades, free agency. You lost a lot of good men out there. Uh, <laughs> the, all right, so let's go uh, to the next Playing one the here. Yankees? Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, Tony Pauline reporting. He's uh, got a couple, uh, some underclassmen news already. Uh, our old friend Tony reporting that uh, Georgia defensive tackle Jordan Davis uh, will likely declare for the draft. And I'm interested to kind of get uh, your guys' thoughts on that news. Dane, we'll start with you.
3: Yeah, I mean, he's he's one of a lot of these juniors who's interviewing agents. And, you know, so we'll see if he follows through with that. But it it wouldn't be a surprise. We, we've we talked about Davis before, you know, 6'6", 330, uh, the, the push that he provides up front. He also has some lateral quickness where he can make plays up and down the line of scrimmage. Uh, a little limited as a pass rusher, but that's not what you're asking him to do necessarily. Uh, he, he's just a really, uh, he's an ascending player because he's he's still learning how to use all those uh, impressive gifts that he has, and so I, I think Jordan Davis in a weak defensive tackle class, uh, Jordan Davis is a chance to be one of the few that we consider as a first round possibility. I was about to say, where does that get you drafted? Because he's a massive player, he's a building,
4: he is really mm-hmm. tough to move. Go watch that Tennessee tape, he's battling Trey Smith, but he's like a 40% playtime player, <clears throat> excuse me. He's not explosive, he's not really an upfield or a forward lean guy, he doesn't really play with any push. He really just kind of a line of scrimmage dweller that's really tough to move. Reminds me a little bit of Lecky Fo Two or Steve McClendon. You know, Daniel You remember big John Henderson with the Jags, you know, the late nineties, early two thousands. That's, that's best case home. scenario.
1: John Henderson yeah. would be like best case, right? I was almost Agreed. thinking like
4: Michael Brockers or like, right. can he be a John Reed? I don't know if I see him being any of those guys. Um, I think he's a through and through odd front nose tackle like Steve McClendon or, you know, uh, maybe the way Jordan Phillips came out of Oklahoma who has shown some upfield push. So I'm not really sure. I see him going in that same range as Lucky Foto, unfortunately, which could be, you know, late day two, early day three. Hmm. Well,
1: let's go to uh, another news item here from Tony Pauline, who uh, had news on another defensive tackle. And that's, you know, we talk about an sec team. I mean, look, there's no team that represents the sec better than the, the sec sec team of the Northeast. And that's the temple owls. And they've got a defensive tackle in a funny uh, that he reports will declare for this draft. Uh, look, I, I haven't studied Maje yet. I will say that, um, you know, talking to some people in that building and around that program, I've, I've been in a couple of practices over the course of the last couple of years. The kid's got ability. He's, he comes off the ball well. He's got a quick first step. Uh, he's kind of different than Davis in terms of that skill set, right? I mean, he's got that ability to be a gap penetrator. Uh, if he could stay healthy uh, throughout the course of this year, I think this kid, he's, he's got some upside and we've seen Temple put a lot of defensive tackles into the NFL over the years. I mean, you go through that list, you'll see that there are a lot of surprising names, guys that have really been able to stick in the league. Um, obviously, the most recent one would be Matt Ioannidis. But uh, I think when you look at, at uh, Ifani Maje, he's got an NFL skill set for sure, Dan.
3: He, he definitely flashes. Um, I haven't done enough games to fully understand the body of work, but I, the flashes have been impressive. I, he, he plays with some violence. He plays with quickness. Um, it, you know, he he gets after it. So uh, he's definitely a player. I'm looking forward to doing more work on. I wasn't trying to study
4: him, but he stood out when I was looking at Quincy Rocher last year for Temple. Now Rocher dominated with QB pressures and sacks. But uh, Maje was first-team All-American, excuse me, All-AAC, American Conference. Seven sacks, 34 QB pressures, which was just second to him. Violent, violent hands. I was trying to watch Roche, and I see this D-tackle doing these violent two-handed swipes. Really loose, explosive first step. He's an interior pass rusher, and everybody wants that. He's lots, very similar to Jalen Twyman at Pitt. Darius Stills at West Virginia, even Levi Onzariki is a similar type of interior trench player with a good first step, 6'2", you know, 285 range, really interesting player. He's only a redshirt junior, essentially a one-year player. Redshirt in 2017, only played about 50 snaps in 2018. This is essentially a one-year player. It was a, a very good one year. This thing might be a little early in my opinion.
1: Yeah, it well, it'll be interesting to, see, to kind of follow this. Obviously, nothing official yet. Um, all right, let's get into the rest of the show, here, guys. Let's go with our game ball standout player from the weekend, Ben. I will let you kick things off for this one.
4: Oh man, there were so many guys to go with. I had to pick someone that got the win though. I wanted to go with Patrick Jones at Pitt. He lost or uh, Dale. What's the Vanderbilt? DN's uh, Dale,
1: name? Oh, name? the uh, the Vanderbilt kid, yep. Dane.
4: Yeah, you know he lost the game, but he had seven QB pressures and two sacks, but. Excuse me. We're going to go with Michael Carter running back in North Carolina. This kid's 5'9", 190 pounds, runs so much harder than his size. He looks like a little Ahmad Bradshaw. He went 17 for 214, two touchdowns, 11 broken tackles eight runs of 10 plus yards really reminds me of Ahmad Bradshaw. And if you want another taste of him, go back to last year, 2019, they nearly knocked off Clemson. He had a bunch of huge runs against some big time NFL caliber linebackers. They don't see Clemson in the regular season this year. And I know they have that, that team kind of circled on that uh, ACC championship game weekend, hopefully having that showdown and that rematch, Notre Dame might have something to say about it this year in the ACC, but uh, really a good player,
3: Michael Carter. He is a really good player, and you know he reminds me of a a lesser version of Dalvin Cook. Like he's not quite as big, but just the way they swerve around, like they just do a really nice job of being patient, scanning, finding the hole. Uh, you know, staying away. His vision really allows him to to set up a lot of those blocks to get set up, and then. Uh, avoid uh defenders so I'm with you Michael Carter and then Javante Williams that North Carolina running back duo those two guys is a lot of fun to watch
4: yeah you know Virginia
3: Tech has this linebacker. what's his last name Richard Ashby who's like
4: 5'10 240 and Michael Carter was breaking unblocked tackles of him consistently in the game like two hands around him and just falling straight off him I've written down in Ashby's notes massive hard hitter run plugger. This is a guy that usually finishes 190-pound You know, running backs. Michael Carter, really impressive at 5'9", 190,
3: 195 pounds. Dan, who's yours? So, uh, for my game ball, I'm cheating a little bit. And I'm giving it to the entire Georgia defense. Uh, after Tennessee had the lead 21-17 going into halftime on Saturday, Bulldogs, they shut out the Vols in the second half. And the defense looked phenomenal. You could tell. They went into the locker room. They just said enough is enough when they came out for the second half. And you know, we could really do an entire show based off of Georgia's defensive prospects uh, because they have so many playmakers at every level up front. Jordan Davis, who we just talked about, a pass rusher, uh, Ojalari, who's got that terrific get off. He's got bend. He can win the corner, create disruption. He had two sacks on Saturday uh, at linebacker Monty Rice. He's one of the top five senior linebacker uh, prospects in this draft. He had a strip sack uh, against Tennessee that he picked up and scored. And then the, the, the secondary is just ridiculous for Georgia. They could have uh, three corners drafted not, – not, not only three corners drafted uh, in April, they could have three drafted in the top 100. It's a very real possibility. And then at safety with LeCount, he's quick, he's physical. So uh, you've got this Georgia defense that's going to be a lot of fun to watch the rest of the season, including this upcoming Saturday against Alabama. And just yeah. to paint the full picture of
4: that game, I watched the tape the other day. Tennessee ran 64 plays on offense. Jordan Davis is on the field for 26. Hmm. It's about a 30% playtime player is kind of what we're talking about. But that Georgia defense, I'm glad you picked them all because there's prospects on every level of the defense, all sorts of athleticism, uh, whether it's Monty Rice or Richard LeCount on the back end, all those DBs, the flexible pass rushers, really fun group.
1: So I'm going to go with one guy and – wait. Um, hold on one sec, guys. I think – I think Najee Harris just scored again. Uh, I'm pretty sure he just, he, yeah, he just got, he just scored his sixth touchdown. Yeah, guys, he went for 206 and five touchdowns against Ole Miss. I don't know if you guys saw the stat that was going around about like the just the the resist the amount of resistance that Ole Miss didn't put up in this game. Alabama did whatever they wanted through the air on the ground. Najee Harris 23 over 200. Five touchdowns. I know he had his first fumble. I'm pretty sure it was his first fumble of his career. He was down at the, the goal line too, and I think he yeah. got mad because of that. I would, I would be too. But man, like five, two, 200 yards, five touchdowns. I mean, just a ridiculous performance for Najee Harris. And like you're talking about, we're going to talk about tough skill players uh, later in the in in this show. Um, I I, look, I'll give it away. I'm not going to talk about Najee Harris very easily could have talked about Najee Harris. He is a really tough, physical downhill runner, decisive player with the ball in his hands. He's not going to create a bunch of yards every single time he touches the football in the NFL. But if you need a guy to just, you know, tote the rock and get downhill, uh, I think this guy does it as well as anybody in college football right now. Uh, Najee Harris, really, really impressive this past week.
3: And the, the impressive thing with the 200 yards, uh, he didn't have a run over 40 yards. So it's not like he had, you know, that one 70-yarder that really inflated the stats. I mean, he was consistently gashing that Ole Miss defense that just looked just way outmatched.
1: And it's crazy, crazy. All right, guys, let's go to our one-play takeaway. Dane, uh, I'll let you kick things off for this one. One play that stood out most from the weekend.
3: So I I could have easily chose uh, LSU's Terrace Marshall for this. 11 catches, 235, three touchdowns. One of those touchdowns I could have chosen. But, uh, you know, and I wrote last week on The Athletic about, you know, five underrated prospects who could surprise his first-rounders. Marshall was one of them. So good timing on that. But the LSU wide receiver that I picked for this category is senior Racy McMath. And, Uh And not for what he did on offense, but special teams. He had a play in the first half. Lined up as a gunner, flew down the field, made a hit on the Missouri punt returner, forced the fumble, and L- uh, that allowed LSU to get the ball back. They eventually punched it in uh, for the touchdown. So on offense, you know, McMath, he's been a little inconsistent, but at 6'2, 225 pounds, 4'4 speed, he is a big time talent on special teams. And I- I'll bet he gets drafted on that alone. So, you know, LSU, they might have two of the top five. Uh, receivers drafted with the Paw Patrol duo of Chase and Marshall. But don't forget McMath either.
1: Mm, I love that. And, I, and McMath is a guy, like, I could just see easy, easy high floor for the NFL. Like, you know, he can come in, be your fourth receiver because he'll be active because of special teams. And he, he's got that size and athleticism. I'm going to throw a name at you guys. And, Ben, I just like, I need to see your face when I say this name. Shea a Tutu. Like, easy Shea a Tutu comp because – Big kid can run, easy special teams player, good blocker, but you also like now you're hoping, okay, like that's what you're working with right off the jump. Can he be more than that? That's the question with McMath, and that's what he's going to answer here this year. Yeah.
3: Mac Hollins. Yeah. You know, he's right. a player the Eagles are, fans are familiar with who, you know, didn't necessarily live up to the offensive potential, but, that, you know, you take chances on these guys.
1: No question. Uh, so I'm going to go with a guy that also uh, has that big playability, and that's at the running back spot. I talked about Najee Harris earlier. He's some people's number one senior back. The other guy that's in that discussion, obviously, is Clemson's Travis Etienne. And look, I, I would say that I'm probably not as high on Etienne as others. Um, I think that there are some questions about his. Game, But look, there's no denying the big play, uh, big play ability. He went 72 yards early in the third quarter. And that's when I kind of like, all right, this game, this game's done. This game's sealed at this point. I I knew that Miami wasn't going to be able to uh, catch up on that 17 point deficit. Uh, But 72 yards where he saw, you saw his ability just to get to the perimeter and bust off the big one. He's one of those guys where You know, you've kind of seen this from Saquon Barkley over the course of his career in the NFL so far, right? Where, uh, you know, he might be, uh, you know, 7 for 17 or 7 for 14 or, uh, you know, 9 for 21. And then he busts off that 75-yard touchdown and now the numbers look great at the end of the day. I feel like ETN has a little bit of that um, great kid off the field and you like what he can do big play potential wise. But he showed that certainly in that game.
4: Who does he remind you of, Fran? He's 5'10", 200 pounds, a little slender, a little upright, track speed, good with the ball in his hands, good in the pass game. Are we talking, you know, a, a Ronald Jones, a Jamal Charles? Is he just Kenyon Drake?
1: No, see, like, I, so I have written down, I've written down Ronald Jones in the past because I think they have some of the same, uh, you know, some of the same concerns, I would say, coming out of college. Um, but I think when you if you're looking and you say best case, like, yeah, you're looking at jamal charles you're looking at dalvin cook you're looking at, at that level player i just don't know I, just because of the bill i don't know I, I there's just something about it and i do want to do more because he's a fun player to watch like i I've, i enjoy watching him it's not like i hate the guy i just don't know um, you know i think that there are more negatives i think you guys know we love to paint the full picture uh, on players none of these guys are perfect um etn is certainly an interesting study ben who is uh, who is your name here
4: well, I want to find a way to talk about Kenny Yeboah from Ole Miss, coming over from transfer uh, from Temple, did take a pit stop down in Baylor, uh, but Matt Rule went to the Carolina Panthers, ended up going to Ole Miss. Huge day receiving. And so I want to highlight that, 181 yards, two touchdowns, with 119 after the catch. A couple really interesting concepts off play action, some pop passes, some yards after catch opportunities. He's caught 15 of 15 targets this year. But my one-play takeaway – is when they kept him in to pass protect. On a play-action shot play, he had to block an Alabama defensive end one-on-one, held him down for three, four and a half seconds, ran the arc, gave uh, the quarterback Matt Corral a little room to step up in the pocket. It was incomplete down the field, might have even been picked. I don't really remember. But that's what Kenny Yaboa does. One of the best blockers in college football coming out of Temple. Now we're seeing him in the SEC. I don't love his lead blocking. But I love him in line against tight ends. I love him out on the perimeter. If Josiah DeGuara goes in the third round and Irv Smith Jr. is a second-round pick, he's somewhere between those two. And he's got good size. He's 6'4 and change, 250 with good speed, good hands. I just see him rising and rising through this draft process. I'm a really big fan of Kenny Yeboah. And I think as he has some more of these splash plays in the pass game to get you excited – it's not really where he makes his money, but he's a very well-rounded player.
3: I think the NFL wants these types.
1: Two Temple Owls yeah. in one segment. And you know that's a win for me.
2: <laughs> with
3: Yaboa, fifteen catches, fourteen have resulted in a first down. So mm. he's been productive. And yeah, coming in, I think he he was he's viewed as a day three guy. I think he was my sixth senior tight end prospect over the summer. But he's only moving north with the way he's playing.
1: All right, let's get to our, our next segment here, and that is our down-the-road freak show. Dane, uh, who's a freshman or a sophomore, or a guy to follow, file away for the future that's not eligible for 2021?
3: Yeah, I couldn't make up my mind which guy I was going to go with, so again, I'm going to cheat, and I go with two here. Uh, LSU true freshman tight end, Eric Gilbert, uh, he's going to be a really good one. I mean, heck, he already is. He, he's a starter on an LSU offense against Missouri, six catches, 97 yards, he had a touchdown. Looked really impressive uh, as the defense uh, really struggled to shut him down. And then the other player I wanted to mention, uh, the Clemson corner, Andrew Booth. He had that remarkable one-handed interception uh, the week prior against Virginia. And then against Miami, just made another crazy highlight play with his athleticism floating in the air to knock down the pass. Andrew Booth, true sophomore, uh, at a player we'll be talking about quite a bit for the 2022 NFL draft.
1: Love it. Ben, who do you got?
4: I feel like Clemson when they, you know, have some juniors and AJ Terrells of the world. Like, yeah, go on to the NFL. We got a couple five stars back here to get in the lineup. Uh, really interesting player. Two guys stood out. We'll watch them tape this week. Alabama, of course, speedy edge rusher Will Anderson Jr. No idea who he is, but he was flying around the corner. Speedy edge rusher with some bend high side rushes. Then the second week in a row, I'm noticing this running back for South Carolina, number twenty. Kevin Harris, back-to-back 100-yard games. I put up a two-play package of Jeremiah Moon of Florida last week. Right. And just by coincidence – Kevin Harris on both plays had really impressive spin moves out of tackles, and that was pure coincidence. And then this past week breaks off another big game. He's 5'10", 225, good size, good speed. He's got eight catches the past two weeks. He just keeps showing up. That South Carolina team's a lot of fun. I think they move uh, Sidarius Hutcherson back to left guard, if I'm not mistaken. Really interesting that Holinsky didn't win the starting job right. heading into his sophomore year after the impressive freshman year. Sorry to cover everything South Carolina news right now, but uh, really impressive team. And Kevin Harris, really good cool looking back.
1: I'm going to stay in the SEC, and I'm going to go with Texas A&M's Isaiah Spiller, the, the running back who's a sophomore. I almost gave him my game ball, but thought, you know, all right, well, with him being ineligible, let's, let's bump him down to this category. He goes career-high 27 carries. He goes for 174 yards, two touchdowns, Shows contact balance, power, uh, not a ton of like shig- wiggle and shake in terms of like, oh man, he's like going to be a dynamic playmaker, but just a tough, hard nosed kid who runs through first contact. And maybe as important as anything else, he made a couple of really big time uh, blitz pickups and pass pro, like where he stood up blockers in the hole, did a really nice job uh, for a young back and a pro style offense to make that kind, of, uh, that kind of impression. I was really impressed with Isaiah Spiller, guys.
4: You know, Jimbo, Jimbo hit a home run in his 2019 recruiting class, getting Isaiah Spiller, Aeneas Smith, the huge tight end Jalen Weidermeyer, the left guard Kenyon Green. He hit absolute home run, which he hasn't the past couple of years. Yeah. I feel like the win on Saturday against Florida, all those 2019
3: true sophomores showed
4: up for him.
3: Spiller's averaging 5.1 yards after contact. So that, sounds like that, right. that yeah. just... It tells you how impressive he is. I mean, to put that in perspective, ETN, who's, you know, obviously outstanding in that area, he's at 4.7. And so, Spiller, definitely a good name to keep on the radar.
1: And I believe cousins of C.J. Spiller? I'm th- not sure. I'm not 100% on that. I think I yeah. looked that up in the offseason, but I, I didn't write it down. I'm pretty sure that's correct. Um, all right, let's go to our film room recap here. And a guy that, just that we've studied over the last week on film that's caught our eye and um, you know, not necessarily based off this past weekend's action. And I will say, uh, I put in a little bit more extra time to watch the North Dakota State left tackle, Dylan Radens. He's the uh, the blindside protector for Trey Lance, who, as we talked about late last week, declared for the draft. It um, Look, Raiden's is, is an impressive athlete, right? I mean, he's got uh, pretty light feet. He looks confident in his pass set. He's six six. He's just under 300 pounds. Um, you know, former high school defensive lineman, offensive lineman, uh, comes in and he's second team all-conference his first year as a starter, becomes a first team All-American last year. Obviously, just played the one game this year. The big thing that stands out, he's a great athlete. He looks outstanding. On the move like you get this kid as a puller out in screens he's outstanding really flexible excellent pad level across the board the big thing is is that play strength is 100 percent a concern right he's got a worrisome anchor um, he'll give up a lot of ground on contact to smaller fcs bull rushers i don't know what he's going to look like when you know cam jordan or claus campbell or one of these guys like gets inside his pads in the nfl It's not going to look good right away. So you need to give him time to physically develop. He's not a powerful guy in the run game either. So, you know, even though he plays with excellent pad level and good hand placement, he runs his feet on contact. He does a lot of the little things well. He just doesn't have the sand in his pants to be able to generate that movement one-on-one right now. So I still think you're looking at a little, not necessarily, I don't want to say a project because he's, he's technically refined in a lot of good areas. He's just, he just got to get developed physically, man. I mean, he's, he's going to need time in an NFL-style uh, weight program uh, to kind of get where he needs to be. I think Brian O'Neill, who was a third-round pick, I believe, out of Pitt, has turned into a nice starter for the Minnesota Vikings. I think that's a suitable kind of uh, progression here for Dylan Raddins. We've seen a lot of guys come out of the NFL or come out of the college ranks, come into the NFL, that even though they, ha- they don't have that anchor, they've proven to be like suitable starters to borderline, you know, kind of below average starters. And I don't want to say that's what raditz is going to be, but the, the issue with that anchor strength, I think is going to kind of cap his ceiling until he gets bigger, until he gets stronger. He's also only played left tackle throughout his career. So, you know, the limited position flexibility as well uh, in terms of his versatility. But, um, you know, that's just kind of how I, I view uh, Dylan Radens at this point. You know, Ryan reminded
4: me of Ezra Cleveland out of Boise State who also went to the Minnesota Vikings. So they clearly have a
3: type up there. Yeah, interested to see what his length is to uh, the senior bowl in the combine, because he's not super long. The size is OK for the position. So that's something to to uh, we'll have to pay attention to when we get the official numbers.
1: Like, could he be Nate Solder? Like, yeah, like, yeah, he could be he could be Nate Solder. And Nate Solder is starting to a fine start, especially at his peak, like uh, before injuries kind of took their toll. Like he was a fine starter. Um, you know, I, I think that that's kind of what you're looking at uh, with Dylan Raidenstain. Who's your player?
3: I went with Sage Surratt, uh, wide receiver from Wake Forest, uh, as, as I worked my way through these opt-out guys. Uh, really productive last season. He was the first Power 5 receiver to reach 1,000 yards uh, in the 2019 season before that shoulder injury into the season. And with quarterback Jamie Newman transferring to Georgia in the offseason, I have to imagine that was part of his thought process to opt out and just declare for the draft. And when I did more work on him, I didn't realize how big of a basketball player he was. He's number two all time in the state of North Carolina at high school, uh, at the high school level uh, in points scored. So when I say he's big time, uh, you know, I, you know I'm, uh, that's what I'm talking about. So you see the same approach on his Wake Forest tape. He brings that power forward mentality. He's well built. He's strong the speed is just lacking. It's not there. Uh, so he's at his best on fades and back shoulders and comeback patterns where, you know, he can really showcase the length, the focus, the adjustment skills. And I think he relies too much on, on his timing and his play strength so he can win those 50, 50 balls. That's not exactly the best recipe, uh, when you're going up against NFL corners. So I do worry about that, but the body control, the athletic finishing skills are just so impressive that I want to believe in him. So I think he's a post-up receiver and he has starting potential in the NFL. I think he just needs the right fit. Ben, who, uh, who'd you go with here? You know, Sage is interesting. He was the North Carolina Player of the Year in football
4: and basketball. I think mm-hmm. there was a player for North Carolina Tar Heels that just got drafted to the NBA that he beat out in high school for that Player yeah, of the in, Year award. Uh, Ingram. Yes, yeah. Uh, really impressive. I focus heavily this week on Virginia Tech left tackle Christian Derrishaw after you, Dean, put him in that first-round conversation uh, article last week over at The Athletic. Highly recommend watching that. I was pretty impressed. This is a massive player, large frame, an absolute people mover, upper body core strength is outstanding, really displaces defensive linemen on contact, brutal double teams. He's long, he's strong, but he's not sloppy. Doesn't have a whole lot of bend, doesn't sink his hips a whole lot questionable lower body strength as he gets a lot of that work done with his core and his arms, Um, but really impressive player. And then I put on the North Carolina tape from last week. I want to see him battle Chaz Surratt. This guy climbed up to the second and third levels all game and just erased linebackers and safeties. Some very violently, like he threw a cornerback down on the floor. He smashed Surratt a couple times. I thought it was impressive. I every now and then I'll look at the PFF uh, national team of the week. Virginia Tech had two offensive linemen on that team despite losing the game, and that's Christian Derrishaw and his left guard, Lectis Smith, who's another intriguing NFL prospect. But Derrishaw is really interesting. He actually played high school football with Zion Johnson over at Boston College. Derrishaw went to a military academy. Zion Johnson went to Davidson. And next thing you know, they're about to meet in the NFL in in a couple months. So really interesting player that I have some names I've written down, Michael Orr, Lyle Collins. D.J. Humphreys, that style of tackle that I think the NFL is really going to covet.
3: Ben, uh, I Dan, it. I know you're, you're high on this kid. Yeah, no, I, I, he's so, his hands are so heavy and so violent. Um, yeah, now, Ben, let me ask you, would you, do you think he can stay outside of tackle? Do you, would you consider him a guard? Do you consider him better maybe on the right side? Uh, what, what is his best fit in your eyes at the next level? I think he's fine at left tackle
4: right now. He's given me some flashes of the way Jedrick Wills looks for the Cleveland Browns right now. I need to study him a little bit more. I want to watch him against, you know, Clemson and some top flight pass rushers, especially on third down. I really need to put his pass sets and his pass protecting under the microscope, but I love him in the run game. I love his body of work. I love his size, his strength, his attitude, his pedigree. I mean, in 2018, he's one of nine true freshman tackles to start week one in FBS. This guy showed up to Virginia Tech ready to play, and he's proved it. He's an experienced player, and a lot of lot of dudes at ACC, whether it's the Pitt kids or Clemson kids or Duke's got some NFL-caliber
3: linemen. Really impressive tape. He's just he's a bulldozer. I mean, no he impression. just moves bodies out of the way, and he'll escort them wherever he wants, whether it's a defensive end, it's at the linebacker level, and the thud that he creates with his hands is so impressive. So, no, I 100% agree. And he's not explosive, but he's balanced. And I think that's why I agree with you. I'm keeping him at tackle and I think he'll do just fine.
4: We'll tie the ends together real quick. Well, Fran, you know, mentioning um, Dylan Radunes from North Dakota state and, you know, Christian Darishaw. these are both tackle prospects. They could not be more different in their play style and
3: strengths. Or do you kind of see the difference in the two? Yeah, that's, that's a good point. And that's,
4: I me, it seems like they're it. in similar ballpark of conversation right now, but I see two very different prospects in my opinion.
3: Yeah. I mean, to me, Darasaw. after I got done studying him, okay, this is, this is a top 50 player. Uh, you know, this is, this is a guy that I'm really excited about. Like you said, I included him in my don't sleep on him for the first round conversation. Uh, where with the uh, Raidens, I, I don't know. I'm just not there with him and maybe a week at the senior bowl, Uh, will change that because he he did accept his invitation. He's the first one to do so. Uh, And so that's something that, you know, we're going to have to watch closely because uh, one thing I loved with Raiden's was just the nasty mentality. He plays uh a lot tougher than maybe he looks but the play strength is is a question mark where with derisaw (laughs) there's no question about that but Mm -hmm. he also is a little heavier in his movements and so uh i agree with you very opposite ends of the playing spectrum but derisaw to me uh i thought was a much better player at this point
1: well guys we've got uh, a couple more players that we're going to talk about here great stuff stay put stay right where you are it's time now for our next segment let's go on the clock
0: on the clock.
1: All right. Well, back it up for another edition here of On the Clock. Chris McPherson. We'll welcome him back in. Uh, Cmac. I, before we get things started, um, we'll talk about the topic, but also number two, just kind of keep uh, people updated on the, the the scoreboard right now. Dane's got three wins. Ben and I each have one win, so we Ben and I have some ground to make up here uh, this week on the scoreboard. And the topic this week is the toughest offensive skill player. And to just kind of give fans uh, an idea of why I went down this road for this topic, you know, getting uh, getting ready for Eagles game plan for the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast every week, watching the Eagles' opponents over the last you know a month or so. You watch the 49ers, you watch the Pittsburgh Steelers, you watch the Baltimore Ravens. All three of those teams, I think, cater to really tough, competitive, edgy skill guys at receiver, at running back, at quarterback. And so that's why I kind of thought, all right. Who are guys that kind of fit that mold in this draft class? Who, who has that kind of uh, that mentality that we're talking about with those three teams? And uh, that's kind of what brought me to the decision to make that a topic this week, C-Mac.
0: I, I like it a lot. You know, looking back from the Eagles game on Sunday, Travis Folga made the one catch where he just bounces off Minkah Fitzpatrick trying to make the tackle attempt. You look at Miles Sanders' 74-yard touchdown run, some amazing blocking downfield by the wide receivers help make that come to fruition. So I think it's a very apropos topic. I like
1: yeah, it. I like it. All right, well, let's get into it. And I had first pick here this week. Uh, the order will be myself, then Dane, uh, then Ben will round us out here. Uh, and for me, I went with an interesting choice here because I went with one of the, the guys that's going to be one of uh, you know probably a top five pick, top six or seven pick in this draft, and that's LSU wide receiver Jamar Chase. Now, Jamar Chase is six foot tall. He is a rocked up 208 pounds, and one of the first positives – that I've got written down about Jamar Chase is, yeah, he's listed 208, but he plays much bigger on a consistent basis in all areas. And here's what I mean by that. You know, c how much I value the ability to play through contact in all areas as a wide receiver. So talking about beating the jam, he is really strong to fight through press coverage, and he does it consistently well. He just uses his size and his strength to win early in the down. Mid-route. It's like trying to force a septibus off the road. You are not going to do it. He's too big. He's too strong. He's too competitive. At the catch point, he is great at dealing with contact at the catch point, whether that means going up and winning those 50-50 balls, uh, and he will do that not just with confidence but with strength, like a power forward winning in the low post. But, you know, contested catches, look, those are great and all. That's not really the big thing for me in the NFL. To me, it's more about dealing with contact after the catch. You know, can you win on a slant route with a corner on your back as the ball arrives? Can you win on a dig route with a safety screaming at you from depth and about to lay a lick on you in the middle of the field? Can you catch a shallow crossing route, know that there's a linebacker looking to lay you out the moment you cross into his area in the middle? So I see all of that and more with Jamar Chase. After the catch, you have got to bring it with this guy. I wrote down uh, that he's got the contact balance of a running back out in space. He's able to run through that first contact consistently. Again, this is in the SEC we're talking about at the highest level of college football. So pre-snap, Mid-route, catch point, after the catch, he shows outstanding play strength and competitiveness. And my last point is this, C-Mac, for Jamar Chase. You know that one of the things I did this spring at the Combine was ask all the players I talked to in that media room, who was the toughest guy that you faced? Not the most talented, but the toughest. And the guy that you you knew every snap, he was going to give you everything he had and bring the best out of you. And no one, no one got more votes than Jamar Chase. Even when I pressed people on it and said, you know, I mean not most talented, right? I mean the toughest guy. They said, no, it's Jamar Chase. And my favorite quote was from Noah Igbenogany. who was a first-round pick for the Miami Dolphins, a talented corner out of Auburn. Very tough physical player in his own right. And I'm just going to read a quick excerpt from that quote. This is from last March. He said, Jamar Chase, he is a different kind of receiver for me. He is not really a twitchy type of receiver like a Van Jefferson or a Devontae Smith. He's very physical. I didn't think on film he was going to be that big, but Jamar reminds me of DeAndre Hopkins. So a lot of what he does in the league – is physical. A lot of his plays, he just comes off the line and he just tries to run through you and he uses his physicality so well. A lot of receivers don't do that nowadays. A lot of receivers just try to go around you or run past you, but he was physical just like I was physical with him. So I had to switch up my game for Jamar Chase no better respect than that of your opponents. And I thought that was an outstanding quote from Noah Igbenogany, whether it's DeAndre Hopkins, or if you want to throw it to me, like I saw Larry Fitzgerald when I watched him c Mac, and that's who I wrote down watching Jamar chase. This guy is a tough SOB. I think he's the toughest skill player in this draft.
0: Well, You bring up Larry Fitzgerald. You're giving Eagles fans nightmares. Okay. So you're teasing them right there. Uh, Dane, I'm going to ask you this. Does he block?
3: Yeah, the, he does. He gets, uh, he gets after it. They, don't ask him, they didn't ask him to do it a, a ton, but when he did do it, he did a nice job. I can picture Justin Jefferson streaking across the middle and uh, Chase is making some key blocks. So I, I, there are some things that I, mean, I think I, I like my candidate a little better, but there's no question that Jamar Chase is one tough SOB like Fran said.
0: All right, Ben. France no, starts
1: strong no, here. Good. It's going to be uh, it's, Dane goes second on this one. Dane's going to go oh, second. Dane's
0: second. My bad. Well, ben, hold on. ben, do you have anything you want to add in? No, nope. just counterpoints? Just so <laughs> saying,
1: that was a good an, initial <laughs> opening statement by Mister Duffy. He's, he's, all these stuff sitting in the wings, and waiting. All right, here we go. So, Dane, uh, who's your player here?
3: All right. So, when I started scouting and learning different uh, evaluation techniques, I, I was taught not to overthink receiver. It comes down to two things: can you get open? Can you catch the ball? But in today's game, there's also a third element that you can can you create after the catch, and you know one of the best in football to do that is Oklahoma State's Tylen Wallace. He looks like a running back after the catch. You see a stiff arm. He'll lower his shoulder. He'll break tackles, and it's not like he's 6'4", 230. He's not even as big as Jamar Chase. Wallace is 5'11", 190, but he plays so much tougher than he looks. And just what the paper says, he's breaking tackles. He's creating with that toughness more than anything else. And he's a good athlete, but it's that toughness that really shines off the tape. And, uh, you know, it's not just after the catch that you see the toughness. He's such a fun player to study when the ball is in the air because of his play strength and his toughness through the catch. It it really gives him a great success rate on those contested passes. And I think another hidden benefit of that toughness is just the reputation. Corners know that they're in for a dogfight whenever they go up against Wallace in that toughness. So they try to match that toughness, and a lot of times that will draw pass interference penalties uh, on the defense. So that toughness, it's generating more than just the production that shows up in the stat sheet. It's all over the tape and opponents, they know about it. And so uh, on a, a podcast with uh, Lance Zerline, Prospects of Pros, he told me how he one of his buddies in the league compared Wallace's toughness to Steve Smith. And so that's something to keep in mind there. He's a, a really productive player, but a lot of the traits also translate. I think toughness is above all what you see with Tyler Wallace.
0: The Panthers, Ravens, Steve Smith, or the USC Giants, Eagles, Steve Smith? Just wanted to put that out there. I will assume.
3: The yes, I, I, you're, you're assuming right. The guy that's uh, going to make a strong push for the Hall of Fame here in a few years. Okay. Fran, strong case there. Any counterpoints?
1: You know, I think that with both of these guys, I think that really it's going to come down to the argument because it's, I, th- I think Tyler Lawson is a very tough player. I will say this. Tyler Wallace looks tough in the Big 12. Jamar Chase looks really tough in the SEC. That's all I'm going to say.
0: I like it. All right, Ben, you've been waiting in the wings.
1: Well, I heard both these fine gentlemen mention the fact that you
4: get yards after catch is one of the big determinants of play strength and physicality. And so let's just go right to the top of the mountain with yards after catch. And that's look no further than Purdue receiver Rondell Moore. When he was last fully healthy in 2018, led the country in yards after catch. Great body, running back style body in a receiver's type of movement patterns. He's the closest thing we have to a Tyreek Hill or Percy Harvin coming out of college. He ran an official laser-timed 4-3-3 in high school. He only got stronger and only got faster. He has a rocked-up core, a really strong lower half, lots of RPOs and run-after-catch opportunities just to get the ball in his hands. Tylen Wallace wants to take the top off the defense, a lot of shot plays in that air raid, you know, open space offense. Rondo Moore in the Big Ten, he had to serve roles of pretty much a running back. And in getting those yards after catch, a lot of the quick game stuff, and you can only do that if you have great play strength, not only the ability to be elusive, which he is fast with that 4-3-3, but he would much rather run through you with the contact balance and the agility and just that lower body strength, and he's 5'9", 180. He's just a tough guy to get his hands on, get your hands on him and around him. And he's rocked up some of the names I've written down, like Randall Cobb, Dexter McCluster, Percy Harvin, Tyreek Hill, even have Steve Smith, who we had just mentioned. That's similar, really small package, but a tough guy uh, and plays much bigger than that play strength. If you like the Debo Samuel and the Randall Cobbs in your offense in the NFL, go get a Rondell Moore because he's going to make something small with the ball in his hands turn into a big play.
0: Okay, okay, let's wait in the wings there. Oh,
4: yeah, one more thing is receiver oh. coach Jamarcus Shepard no block, no rock. You have to block downfield, block on the outside. If you don't block, you don't play. Really good downfield blocking. Also, have to give some credit to Tylen Wallace, he's a guy that blocks as well, even late into the fourth quarter after getting 20 targets a game. Tylen Wallace blocks pretty well late in the game.
1: And I don't want to give Ben any extra fluff on his player, but I will say that people you talk with in that building at Purdue just rave about. Uh, about Rondell Moore, the person, and just say he's a pro as a 17-year-old walking into the building for the first time. So uh, I think people know what they're getting with Rondell Moore.
4: And just to cover the full news, he did announce he's opting back into the college football season, yep. I think two weeks ago or so. So excited to see him uh, now that he's healthy after missing of 2019. Uh, Both I'm guys- surprised
3: uh, we, we oh. all took receivers. Uh, yeah. we, this, is, this is toughest offensive skill player, not – just receiver <laughs> you know, so running backs were also in the discussion yet all three of us took receiver which is really interesting i,
4: I could have got I would, the tight end group for a glass eater or somebody in there that you know a nick boyle or patrick ricard or one of those types that are just looking to kind of you know bite your leg at the end, b- bottom of the pile there but didn't see any that i liked i see so many brevin jordans and kyle pitts and kind of some finesse stretch tight ends in this class
1: there were i, I thought about one of the big physical backs like a naji harris who we talked about earlier in the show but uh jamar chase just uh just too good to pass Pass up. I will say, Jamar Chase, the only guy on this group not to have a season-ending injury. Too, he's been a, a full slate of health uh, over the course of his career. That's my. are say? Eye,
0: are you trying to say if you're injured at some point? No, you're just saying right? he's
1: play. He's played through. He's played through a little the bumps and bruises that he's had yeah, so far.
3: What do he do on Saturday in, in the LSU game? He's set up. He's cl- he's getting ready to train for oh, the draft. Oh, man. oh, oh okay. <laughs> hey, really okay. quick, Fran Dean, what would you think?
4: I was going to go with Kadarius Tony for a second.
1: Yeah. I mean He was that's, a very was
4: too- undersized guy who early in his career had to run between the tackles. He was a high school Wildcat yeah. quarterback, about 5'9", 170 pounds. He's a really tough kid as well. That's a good point. Yes. Yeah, C-Mac. no, he is.
3: That, that's ahead. not who, you know, I think you immediately think of. But now that you bring him up, yeah, that, that makes sense. C-Mac, who do you got for us?
0: Fr- Franz What, are you excited? You think <laughs> you did good this week or something? I think you I know? do good every week. I mean, I'm always trying to bring that's- it. Fair point, fair point. Uh, I will say Rondell Moore, look, intrigued by the fact he plays in the Big Ten. I like the comps that you listed there. I don't know if I think of Tyreek Hill. Those guys has, you know, the, the toughest offensive skill position players. Dane Tyler Wallace, you know, love the fact that you talk about the blocking. I know, you know, Ben kind of reiterated that as well. The Steve Smith comp, very, very strong, comes to mind. This week, though, Fran brought the heat. He brought that the best argument overall. You know, Jamar Chase, who everyone is going to think of as this big play dynamic receiver to kind of, you know, have a different view, view him through a different prism. Because even a casual college football fan like myself has heard of Jamar Chase and saw what he did on the way to the championship in 2019. But to have this kind of extra spin just makes it a little more exciting, a little more interesting to want to find out more about him. And Fran, I know how hard you work the pavement to ask the players the different poll questions. So the fact that he was... Listed as the toughest player that all these guys went against, going in the SEC, you know, you bring up the the uh, DeAndre Hopkins, Larry Fitzgerald. I mean, that's you vividly have those kind of images of guys who just define toughness. So Fran, you had you have your second victory here, truly your second win here this week, uh, going with Jamar Chase as the toughest skill position player on offense.
1: I will say that this one was a tough one. I feel like this could have gone to anybody because it ultimately would have come down to who made the best argument because it's not like, uh, you know, oh, who's the best player at this where, you know, people have a tangible, you know, opinion. way, This is, this was a tough one to, uh, to be able to argue.
0: C-Mac? I figured, and I figured the work that you do behind the scenes, I figured you were going to have uh, a very, very good argument. So all around very, very good cases, but definitely a little. Come on, C-Mac. A that was easy, all yeah. Joe
1: Brady at LSU last year. And you know it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, guys, this was really good stuff. C Mac, thanks so much. We'll see you next week. D- Dane, we'll see you next week. Ben, we'll talk to you later this week here on the Journey of the Draft Podcast, driven by AAA. Well, as I said, great stuff there from Dane Brugler, Ben Fennell, Chris McPherson. Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation there uh, with Chris McPherson. All right, let's get to our next segment. I teased it earlier. I caught up with Assistant Director of Player Personnel for the Eagles, and that's Ian Cunningham. We talked all about Eagles' second year running back, Miles Sanders, and kind of the lessons you can take away uh, with his uh, emergence here with the Eagles, what he did last year and what he's done so far here in 2020. Based off that, uh, that projection from him coming out of Penn State, Let's get into it. It's time for Scout Stories.
0: Pull up a seat. It's time
2: for Scout Stories.
1: Well, joining me this week here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA, to talk about Eagles running back Miles Sanders is Eagles' assistant director of player personnel. Ian Cunningham to talk about uh, Miles Sanders. Look, we're in we're in year two uh, with Miles Sanders or a year and change. In excited to get your thoughts, your memories on seeing him not just in the spring of 2019, but just throughout that pre-draft process. Uh, give us your thoughts, your evaluation on Miles when he was
2: coming out of Penn State. Yeah, friend, it's kind of funny because if you remember correctly, they had a guy by the name of Saquon Barkley there before <laughs> him, so you really didn't get a chance to know who Miles was until his junior year and he, when he started. And he he hit the ground running. I mean, had a tremendous junior year. I remember the Maryland game and the Illinois game vividly in terms of just what you saw was his electricity as a runner, his balance, his make-miss uh, vision. And the good thing is that you got to see him catch the ball out of the backfield as well. So a lot of the things that we're seeing today, we got to see that year. And then getting him with a a running backs coach like Deuce Staley, he knew that he was going to improve his ball handling and uh, because I think he had about five five fumbles as a junior. But he improved that and, uh, you know, tremendous, tremendous athlete.
1: So take us through that. I mean, how do you – when you have a guy that's got that, you know, that small sample size, I guess, like, I just want to give the listeners a takeaway. When you're looking at guys that, all right, he had that one year as the full-time guy – you just have to, every team is going to look at that differently in terms of, hey, we get him in with Deuce, we have confidence in in our running backs coach and in that the guys in that room that they'll be able to correct some issues. And, you know, he's got his other God-given abilities that now you've got something to work with.
2: I think you kind of look at it like this. You can look at it twofold when you see a guy with only 270-plus career carries. He's got a lot of tread on the tire. So uh, he's relatively young to the position in terms of just um, what he can bring to the table when you have a running back coach like Deuce, who's played the position, who can teach him the nuances of the position, how to uh, handle the ball a little bit better, um, how to set guys up out of the backfield as a route runner uh, to make them a little bit more explosive. So you knew that there was upside with them. And like I said, going back to those two games, you really saw the explosion, the lateral make-miss, the cut ability. And you have to take into account. I don't think he he was that healthy that that junior mm-hmm. year as well. His first game in the season against Pitt, I believe, you know, was his most healthy game. So he played uh, the whole year uh, a little banged up.
1: And then the last question for you, there was so much made about um, him as a pass catcher. I remember we talked with James Franklin uh, after the Eagles drafted him. He said, yeah, you know, we were really hoping to get him more involved as a pass catcher here as a senior. You guys obviously saw that, you know, that potential during the private workout. So, again, for the takeaway for the listener, just because a guy wasn't asked to do something in college doesn't mean he can't do it in the NFL.
2: Correct. I mean, you had to take the sample size that's given in terms, I think he had about 34 uh, receptions as a junior and you try to pick through those and just see if he can track the ball, how he caught the ball. Did he catch it with his hands? Did he catch it with his bodies? Was he able to track it over his shoulder? Um, how he was able to set guys up as a route runner, set defenders up as a route runner uh, and then just trying to project that to our level and seeing how that would transfer to our level. And he did a tremendous job on the private workout And like uh, Coach Franklin said, the, the opportunities that he was given, he made the most of them.
1: Well, Ian, thanks so much for joining us here to talk about Eagles running back Miles Sanders. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll talk to you again soon, man. You as well. Before we continue with this episode, it's really important that I talk about voting. Now, uh, you have likely heard a ton of talk this year about mail-in voting with this election. It's been a huge topic this year, and that's because due to COVID-19, millions more Americans are going to vote by mail this year than in years past. So in this, which is a general election year, it's going to take extra time to count and certify those mail-in ballots. And I, and I want to start this off by saying voting by mail is perfectly safe. It's perfectly fine. You just got to make sure that you do everything right. You got to follow the instructions. Now, the rules for mail-in ballots change from state to state. And I know that there are listeners all over the country, so it's really important that you know what's going on. In Pennsylvania, all right, the state that I'm recording this in now, the deadline to request a mail-in ballot is October 27th. So, you just got over two weeks away from when I'm recording this, which is mid-afternoon on Monday, October 12th. So, a couple weeks away from where, even where you have to request a ballot. You can request it right now, but you still have uh, more than a couple weeks here to get that done. In Delaware, that deadline to request a ballot is October 30th. So it's even a couple days later than Pennsylvania. If you live in New Jersey, a mail-in ballot will be sent out to all active registered voters. So here's my point. Just in this tri-state area, you've got three different sets of rules regarding regarding the request for a mail-in ballot. So it's important for you at home to know What's going on in your own state? Do you have a deadline for when you can request a mail-in ballot? Is one just being sent to you at your house? You want to be able to that you uh, you want to be able to know what those rules are. More importantly, once you get that ballot it's just so pivotal that you complete and return those ballots as early as possible. I told you, millions more people are going to be voting this way this year. So rather than your, your envelope getting backlogged and thrown onto the top of the pile on November 3rd, you can request your ballot and turn that thing around in just a few days. If you don't want to put your ballot in the mail... Many jurisdictions all over the country offer ballot drop box locations where you can just drive up, drop your ballot into the secure drop box. Before you do that, you make sure that you seal your ballot in that secrecy sleeve that's provided. You just got to follow all the instructions that you get with the ballot. So in that package, it'll tell you, you know, you got to fill it out with a certain color pen. You got to make sure you sign everywhere that it asks you to put your signature. Just follow all of those instructions very carefully. Make sure it's sealed up in the right envelope. Make sure you sign everywhere. Everything is completely safe. Everything's completely legal. It's not too late. That's the important part. Remember, 100 million eligible voters did not participate in the general election four years ago. Please do what you can. Help us lower that number. It is all of our civic duty to make sure that all of our voices are heard. Get out and vote on November 3rd.
0: Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft
3: mailbag.
1: All right, so as I said earlier at the top of the show, the best way to give us your support is to go on to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. And I want to hit up a question uh, from Write Him, a longtime listener, uh, who went onto our Apple Podcast page, left that review saying, I love this podcast, super informative, and such a deep dive into the college prospects. Learning about these prospects each week is so fun and enjoying the new format this year. So, Fran, I've got a would you rather for you, and I love this. Write Him, write Him. outstanding. We'll really appreciate this. Would you rather have Patrick Sertan Jr., the talented corner from Alabama, or linebacker Micah Parsons in the Eagles' defense? So, look, you're talking about two blue-chip players, right? And this is without knowing either guy off the field. I don't know, you know what either of these guys are like from a personality standpoint or just you know, from a football, uh, a football character standpoint. Both guys watching on film you look at it and say, yeah, they, they have the ability to be great players at their respective spots. Patrick Sertan has got the ability to be an outstanding cover man corner. He, where, you know, whether it's man to man, zone, he's got the ability to play on the ball. He can play in any scheme. Anytime you start as a true freshman for Nick Saban, you know you've got the goods, right? And obviously, he's been groomed uh, for this for this role uh, for his entire life with his dad being a former Pro Bowl corner. Then you look at Micah Parsons, and this guy, uh, you know, to quote Ben Fennel, he's built in the lab, right? I mean, with his size, his level of athletic ability, his ability to come downhill and be a pass rusher but then also uh, you know the upside he's gotten coverage I mean this guy's got special special traits when you've got two blue chip talents you know, I think you look at best player available. Uh, in my in my mind, in, to me personally, I view Patrick Sertan in that way. Um, and I think when you look at Micah Parsons, you really can't go wrong with either. Uh, but I look at Patrick Sertan and I say, man, like uh, it's tough to find a corner with those kind of uh, those kind of cover skills, that level of instincts, those t- the toughness, the ball skills, all that stuff. Um, I, I really, really like Patrick Sertan. So pairing him uh, with Darius Slay uh, would be really, really intriguing to me. As you know, adding him in with Avante Maddox and the rest of the guys the Eagles have. Uh, in that corner room. Really love the idea of a Patrick Sertan, but uh, we'll see. I mean, he's. As I've said earlier on this podcast, you know, in week in the weeks prior, uh, I think Patrick Sertan is a, a top half of round one guy. We'll see how the rest of the Eagles season goes. Um, we don't know if they're going to be picking, uh, or, you know, much later uh, in round one, depending on how this division goes in the NFC. So, uh, write him, great stuff. And we've uh, we got a couple other questions in the queue. We will hit hit on them next week. If you've got one, I want to hear it. If you've got a mock draft, throw it on there. Go on to Apple Podcast, Stitcher. Leave us a rating. Leave that in the comment section. Great stuff from everybody this week uh, here on the Journey of the Draft. Podcast. We'll be back later this week. Uh, we've got Ben Fennell, obviously. Ross Tucker will be back, and we've got a special guest as well. So make sure you're tuned in right here on the Journey to the Draft Podcast, driven by AAA.